Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is probably my Here favorite part. <laughs> the intro to the Beyond intro. Sunday. Can't Guys, get any better. welcome. This is Beyond Sunday, where we take you inside the culture of Vox Church. Once again, I am Kurt. I'm the host of this podcast, and we are sitting with our one and only Justin Kendrick. The host with the most, no. You are. You <laughs> am are. I? I you appreciate really it. I appreciate <laughs> it. Well, welcome, buddy. It is a Always good. new year. Yes, it is it a is. new time. We have a new transition out there in the world there's so much going on and i'm excited for 2021 yeah. although i don't think it's going to be dramatically different than 2020 I, yep. I am just super excited about where we are headed and the things that are going on right now because again it is a new season it there's is. a lot of things going on yep. and i think it's that 2021 that's giving people a little bit of hope about the future spring's coming you know Spring what i mean it's coming. not going to be winter forever yeah. yeah it's been a long year yeah uh, that's for sure but i do i think i think there is that sense of hope that like, hey we're just moving forward everything's not perfect everything's not the way you want it mm -hmm. but uh it's time to shift out of poor me and shift yeah. into let's move forward. I think everybody's feeling that. And that's a perfect segue because that's exactly where I was going. Uh, your new sermon series, Headspace, yes. it has a lot to do with, and I actually uh, listened, I was on the internet this time. Yep. I wasn't able to make it in service, but you were talking about, yep. you know, just a different, uh, well, you were talking about yourself and yeah. the diet that you're on. Yeah, I'm just, uh, that's not what the sermon's I, about. That's not what the sermon's around. <laughs> but it, I, it just caught, it caught my attention because I asked people uh, who were at the service and they said, yeah. you didn't talk about you, uh, specifically Ryan Weatherhead. Uh, and yeah. so take, take us into this, uh, take us into this sermon series. Okay. Tell us a little bit of, uh, about what it's about and yeah. where it's going over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously as we prayed about 2021, we wanted to start the year with really three months focused on renewing your mind. So it's not just this series. We're actually going to do a shorter little mini series after this all the way till Easter. And so, you know, the mind is that the whole idea of headspace is that the atmosphere between your ears really does set the trajectory of your life. And so, you know, some of us, it's cloudy. Some of us, it's rainy. Some of us, it's sunny. But how I perceive things, the whole idea behind headspace is that you know, everything that's going on inside of you, your feelings, your thoughts behind those things is a story. Mm -hmm. And it's that story that really does uh, enable you to interpret the world around you. And so what I want to do in this series is take eight weeks, look at scripture primarily from the book of Daniel. Mm -hmm. And what story did Daniel and his friends believe that allowed him to thrive in such a broken time when they were slaves in Babylon. And yeah. so much so in, you know, in our world, in a challenging time where depression, anxiety, fear, you know, all is on a, on the rise, like never before. Uh, how do I thrive in my mind? How do I live with peace? How do I have thoughts that are clear? Uh, how do I set the course of my day in my thoughts? And so that's really the idea mm -hmm. behind the series is how do we get to that story that's behind your story? And how do we maybe tweak some of that story so that I can see life differently? Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a great couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Yeah, I mean, just even thinking to myself, it's, you know, we grew up with certain traditions. We grew up with certain ideas and, right. and these things that are implanted in our brain. And sometimes we don't even think about uh, how we react to certain situations, right. how we do this, how we go about our day. Yep. And it really takes an analyzation of our life and our current situation yeah. to figure out, oh, I didn't even realize that yeah. I was going down this path. I Big didn't time. even see it. So yeah. I'm excited for the next well, couple of weeks. Let me give you an example. Cause so like, think of it like this, right? So our, our culture, 
you know, has been saturated for a couple hundred years in this idea that you're a cosmic accident, right? There's no purpose behind your life. There's no plan. You're here by accident. You're a collection of molecules. Mm -hmm. That's all that you are. Of course, that stands in opposition to the story of God, which says, no, he created you. You're a divine spark. He has his life in you, right? So those are two different stories that are behind the story. Now, we live in a culture that says you are what you produce. So if you don't have a big business or a lot of money or a successful name or celebrity status, then you're not important. You are what you produce. That's what our culture teaches. Where's that come from? Mm -hmm. It comes from the story that says you're just a collection of molecules. Because if that's true, then there is no life after death. If that's true, then what's important is what people know about you and your own comforts. So what we have to realize is some of us have adopted the mindset that says, I am what I produce, Mm -hmm. not realizing that it's a lying story behind that mindset. So if I reinform the story and I say I'm a divine spark from God, I have a purpose in Him. Now I'm not what I produce. I am valuable because I'm loved by my creator, right? And so I can relax when my business is succeeding or failing, Mm -hmm. when my life looks important or my life's forgotten. My value is not tied to that. See, a different story changes the way I feel. And so if I'm walking around depressed because, you know, some, you know, uh, I go unnoticed in this season, that's rooted in a lie. And so when we can change the story behind the story, we can actually actually change the headspace. Yeah. So that's the idea of the whole th- whole st- uh, theme, and I think it's gonna be great. I think it's gonna be good for all of us. Yeah. And as you were talking about that, I just got the you know impression to say, listen, life as it is as an American here is you put yourself in a different situation. You take yeah. yourself out of that. You go to a third world country and see the happiness and the joy. I know. And and the reaction that these people have when they don't have the right. the things that we have. They don't have a house. They don't have a heat. car. They yeah. don't ha- they don't have that stuff. Yeah. They you know and and again, I haven't really been in those situations too much, but I often think about that. Yeah. And I think about the stories that people tell me and just the awe and the joy and the love that they have for God. Yeah. And receiving that and knowing that that is and that is their focus. We're focused. So we get pulled in so many different directions. We're here. We have to worry about work. We have to worry about our kids. We have to worry about, oh, you know, it's an inconvenience. We have to change our right. tire. We have to, you know, right. and all these little things that happen throughout our day, it pulls us from mm. the, the from the true focus. And, you know, I, you know and I think so just, good. and I think just, just putting it in perspective. Yep. Is it really that bad? And so I know good. there's situations out there where, yeah, you know, it is that bad. Right. But for the majority of us, life isn't that much of a struggle comparatively to other people in the world. It's just where our focus lies yep. and where our direction is going. You are prophesying to somebody listening to the <laughs> podcast right now. No, seriously, there's somebody that feels so down and so low. And, uh, you know, when you walk in somebody else's shoes, when you zoom out, uh, it really does change your perspective. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, I just I just had that feeling so inside me. So, so anyways, uh, leading into today's podcast, I was able to actually sit down with a small group of new Christians. Great. And to sit and talk with these guys, it's it's really awesome. Yeah. They have all sorts of questions. They're kind of not all over the place. They know what they're doing. They've been, you know, at the church, but they just have some some questions. And I sat down with them and I said, listen, guys, you know, this next podcast, what I'm going to do, I'm going to sit down with Pastor JK and we're going to. Cool. Any question that you want, shoot. This is totally anonymous. I haven't told you any of the questions. Okay. And trust me, they have some some burners. All right. In so here. these are these are uh, unprepared responses. Un, yes. All right. And, and unfiltered too. So unfiltered. Here we go. So question number one: If Catholics have the Pope and the Vatican as their leadership, yep. Where do Christians like, uh, or where does Vox Church get their leadership from? Where does yeah. it stem oh. from? 
So good. Yeah. Right. So the Catholic Church uh, believes that when Jesus says to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right. He says, now remember, Simon's name was Simon, and he changes his name in that moment to Peter, which is the, which is the word Petros for rock, right? So he's, it's a play on words. He's saying, your name is Peter, and upon this rock, this Peter, I will build my church, this Petros, right? So uh, Peter's name is actually like small stone, and uh, Petros is larger stone. But, but uh, so the Catholic Church believes, and listen, we love the Catholics. We believe, you know, God is working in so many powerful ways across the world. But uh, the Catholic Church has come to the conclusion that Peter was the first pope, okay? And so mm-hmm. upon Peter, they think uh, he built his church. And so from that time, they have a lineage of popes, which would be the leader of the church. Now, that is what the Catholic perspective of Christians believe. But all the other Christians, and we would consider ourselves non-Catholics or Protestants, right? Uh, same Bible, love Jesus. But uh, but we would say is, okay, that... Uh, Jesus wasn't talking about Peter being the rock, Mm -hmm. although he's saying, yeah, Peter, you are going to be a leader in my church. What he's saying is the revelation that Jesus is the Savior of the world was the rock. He says, because right before that, Peter says, you are the Son of God. And he says, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, your name is Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. So what he was saying was, on the revelation of Jesus, that is the rock. And so for us, yeah, we have, I'm the lead pastor of the church, but I'm not the Pope of the church. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. And so the church is going to exist long before, long after I'm gone, long after Vox is gone. And so we don't believe that uh, one human being who's flawed and sinful should be the leader of the church. We believe that Jesus is the leader of the church. It's his church, it's not my church. He's the one who builds it. I don't build it. He draws all people to himself. I can't draw anyone to Jesus. I can proclaim his word, but it's always Jesus and his spirit who do the work. Yeah. And so uh, we would say, you know, and listen, we disagree with the Catholics on this, but we love them. We honor them. We would say Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. No human being outside of Christ can be that foundation. And the leaders of the church, the council of elders, the leadership within every church uh, submits to the authority of the chief shepherd who is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I am a man under authority. I'm under the authority of Jesus Christ. And of course, we have accountability as well. We have a board of directors that can fire me. You know, we have human accountability uh, for the sake of integrity, but we also ultimately have uh, Christ as our accountability. Yeah. Well, that's a solid answer. I'll yeah. give you that. That yeah. was great. Yeah, it's I mean, huge. Trust Support. me, no research was was, yeah. was put in. There's no notes. There's, There's no, no anything. Like it's a blank page yeah. in front of me, literally. <laughs> so that's great. So my next question uh, was actually from um, a, a woman who, who really had the one specific issue that she was going to talk about. And if you ask, I'll, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. But she wants to know, you know, 98% of the things that you preach about, she agrees with. Yeah. But what happens if there's that 2% or mm-hmm. 1% or whatever it is where she may disagree with you? Absolutely. Does that make her a bad Christian or how should she react to a sermon that she may not agree with? Yeah, absolutely. So listen, if you're reading the Bible and there are times where you do not agree uh, that's good because that means you're paying attention. No one reads the Bible and says, oh, I agree with everything. I mean, the Bible is a controversial, radical revelation of the heart of God, okay? And sometimes things can be misinterpreted, but the whole of Scripture, we believe, uh, is the voice of God to the people of God. So when I get up and preach, I'm doing my best not to give you my opinion. Uh, truthfully, my opinion is not that interesting, and I'd run out of material in two weeks. <laughs> I really would. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that opinionated about everything. 
My ambition is to give you God's word. Mm. Now, I'm a human being, so I do that fallibly. I'm not perfect in my interpretation of God's word or in my delivery of God's word. And so what I would challenge you to do is anytime you disagree with something that I preach, first and foremost, study it yourself in the scripture. Let the scripture be the supreme court of your life. And so if you say, well, uh, you know, I don't agree with what Justin said, go back to God's word because I am submitting my life to the scripture. I'm submitting my life to God's word. And what I mean by that is what I'm saying is, listen, if I have different views on sexuality, if I have different views on money, if I have different views on the poor, I'm going to submit my ideas to God's ideas. And I'm going to say, God, you're smarter than me. And I'm submitting to what you say in your word, not in one verse, but in the totality of scripture. So I'm going to study it out. So if you're saying, I disagree with you, two challenges. First, go study it out. Second, Go find a leader in the church, meet with them one-on-one, mm. and share the struggle. Say, yeah. hey, I feel differently about this. What do you think? But don't do this. Don't use your experience or what your Uncle Bill said or what the TV show told you to be your interpretation of truth alone. Let God's word be supreme. And the reason is because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so when we trust God's word, I know it's risky, but uh, 2,000 years of, of history will show you when you trust God's word, the result is peace and joy mm. and life. Yeah. And uh, so you, that's the challenge. You mentioned something that actually kind of struck me for a second. It's okay to meet with someone from the church. Mm-hmm. It's okay to not have an opinion and oh, actually present it to someone and figure out a third party opinion. That's right. You know, it's a lot of times we just disagree and we get angry. Yeah. And, you and know, that's silly. This is too important. You know, like the, the things of scripture. If you don't disagree once in a while, it's evidence that you're not paying attention. Mm. Like, I mean, you know, I, I, I talk with our leaders and we disagree about things all the time and we fight through the scriptures and we wrestle through them. We say, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, and, and we, and we study history. Well, how have leaders of the church for his, you know, for, for 2000 years interpreted that yeah. and we go back and forth and then we come to that place of resolution. Uh, but wrestling with God's truth is an important part of growing up in Christ. Mm -hmm. So if you're not wrestling, then you're really not paying attention. And uh, there will be times where the truth of the scriptures rubs you the wrong way. And that's just the way it goes. You know, (laughs) it's true. And and you have a choice to make in that moment. Do I think I'm smarter than God? And the vast majority of our culture would say, yeah, I do think I'm smarter than God. Okay, well then do sexuality your way and see how it goes because there's a whole lot of evidence to say that even though God's way seems limiting, his limits produce life mm-hmm. again and again and again. Powerful. So my next question, this was one where everyone was like, oh, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. So is alcohol yeah. considered sin? No, <laughs> man. No, it's a great question. So yeah, so obviously Jesus was drinking wine, right? Yeah. I mean, the last supper, he says, this is my blood and yeah. he uses wine. Alcohol is not sin. Uh, alcohol is not ever actually described in the scripture as sin. In fact, uh, Timothy is told by Paul to drink alcohol uh, for his stomach. He had some stomach issues, and the alcohol was helping his stomach settle. Mm -hmm. But then also just to drink alcohol, it was culturally very normal. Uh, Drunkenness is sin, right? And so, you know, for every person, we live in a culture where people drink to get drunk. That's actually rare. You go to Europe, you go to Italy, they're not getting there. I mean, some are for sure, but not to the pervasive, chaotic nature that it is in America. You know, every 20 year old kid's trying to get a bunch of Coors Light so yeah. that he can see how many he can slam. Yeah. That is sinful, that is broken. Uh, but drinking alcohol um, 
in a responsible way, in a guarded way, in a careful way is not sinful at all. Mm. I would say this though, if you come from a long line of drug addicts or alcoholics and you have a long history of getting drunk, it's probably wise for you to create very, very tight limits. And that might be no alcohol at all, or that might be a very little amount of alcohol. Uh, I know for myself, you know, for probably about 10, I'm just being personal here, for about 10, 15 years, once I was 21, about 10 years, I didn't drink alcohol at all just because my family has a long history of alcohol abuse. And then when I st- started drinking alcohol, I said I'm only having at max one alcoholic beverage in a 24-hour period. Mm. And that was just my limit to say, hey, listen, I don't want to even come close to the line of, of drinking alcohol. And I've just stick to that because to me, uh, that's just been, first of all, physically healthy mm-hmm. and second of all, responsible. So I never wanted my kids to ever have to ask the question, did dad drink too much? Yeah. And so they never have. And that's, that's my limit. I don't want to enforce that on anybody else, but, yeah. but, um, you know, and I, I probably have one or two drinks a month, right? You know, it's yeah. not like a normal part of my routine, but, uh, but again, some may have a little more, some less, uh, the key is, uh, to get drunk is sin. Yeah. And it limits your uh, gains as well. I know. Yeah. You're putting on the calories, man. It's like, is it really worth it? If you got goals, <laughs> yeah. is it really worth yeah, you're it? You're absolutely you right. Know? All right. So leading into the next topic, you, you touched upon it, uh, upon it, but let's talk a little bit about, uh, sexuality. Mm-hmm. So well, really? Cause there's really no disagreements about that. So the question that, that was asked is, listen, how far is too far? Yeah, you yeah. know, like sex, we know what sex is defined is defined yep. as intercourse, but yep. there's a bunch of stuff leading up to that. You know, you can use the bases as, as right. a general direction. Yep. And the question was, you know, what, what's okay and what's not okay in right. God's eyes. Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, here's how I define it. So if I, I, we believe, I believe that the scripture teaches that, um, that sexual intimacy is reserved for marriage between a man and a woman in a lifelong commitment. So that's what we believe. And so, you know, um, by the way, just side note, I just heard a great, uh, talk on this by Dr. Tim Keller was so good. He said, the church is, it really needs to stand on four key issues, two that will make you popular in culture and two that will make you hated in culture, depending on if you're more liberal or conservative. And he said they are a biblical view of sexuality, which is the one I just described, a commitment to life from the time of conception and the value of human life all through, even through the elderly stages of life, regardless of your contribution to society, you're valuable and and the right to life, a care for the poor and a... uh, uh, the fourth one is a deep commitment to uh, break down the deception and the lies of racism for mm-hmm. unity and racial unity. Those four things, you'll notice two are more usually liberal, two yeah. are more usually conservative. The church needs to stand on all four of those things. And when we ignore two of them for the sake of our political persuasion, uh, we're doing the kingdom of God a real disservice. Mm-hmm. So I know that's a side note, but theory of sexuality in our day will make us unpopular because we would say, hey, we believe that, um, and we're not forcing this upon people that are not Christian. But what we're saying is for followers of Jesus, we believe that, uh, you know, sexuality is reserved for marriage. And so you will be blessed and happier and more fruitful and in the blessing of God when you save sex for marriage. And so in light of that, uh, if you're not married, you're dating somebody, how far is too far, right? Uh, What I would say is treat that person like their body does not belong to you. And so that is a good uh, indicator of how far is too far. And so if you're touching them in a way that acts as though you have access to their body, that's too far. Mm. And so, you know, uh, I do believe that specifically orgasm is a gift for the married couple. And so if orgasm is included in our fooling around, uh, I think you're too far because I think that is a gift 
given to those in marriage. It's mm. like God gives you a little gift and he says, let you unwrap it. So some people say, oh, well, Justin, we're not like having like sex where we could get pregnant. We're having yeah. oral sex. We're yeah. having, you know, and it's like, well, you're still unwrapping the gift. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I know that might be awkward for some people to hear, but like, listen, we're just being straight here, straight talk. So, um, so I think that's too far. And then the second thing I would say is that when you're treating that human, that person's body, you know, think of it like, hey, if their dad was sitting next to us, would I be touching them that way? You know what I mean? And if I wouldn't, then I'm backing off. That's yeah. my encouragement. And so um, here's the here's the real, real thing. You're not going to miss out on anything by drawing strict boundaries. Mm -hmm. You're not. And so if you end up not getting married, praise God, you didn't make all those physical uh connections yeah. that now are going to haunt you for years. And if you end up do getting married, praise God, your honeymoon's even more fun. Yeah. So either way you win when you hold back for a season. I don't suggest adults, you know, dating for 18 years before they get married. I mean, it's like, man, that's like going to make it tough. Yeah. And so uh, those are some guidelines for boundaries. The other thing I would say is you need to find a mature godly couple and you need to tell them your boundaries. This might feel awkward, but we need each other in the family of God. And so if you're dating someone, you're not married, you're having a hard time, go to an older married couple who has been living godly for a long time, both man and woman, and say, listen, here are our boundaries. We're not taking our clothes off. Uh, I'm not touching her chest. We're not you know, taking our pants off. Uh, we're going to kiss. We're going to hold each other. And that's all we're going to do. That's our commitment. And if we even go close to that boundary being crossed, we're going to tell you. Mm. And if we're tempted to cross that boundary, we're going to tell you. And we're just going to stay in communication. Um, and that is one of the safest ways to keep your guard up. Yeah. And so uh, is it a little awkward? Sure it is. But, uh, you know, it's better than uh, the pain and the sorrow of uh, of dishonoring God and breaking those commitments. I feel like this is one of those topics that is is just ravaging through the entire Christian community yeah. because again, we're in a culture, especially the American culture and the European culture where, you know, we're under the impression that that this is okay. Test drive every, a car, man. Every movie, every yep. show, every, right. like every magazine, that's all you see. Well, and my response to that, I agree, it is totally normal. Uh, the idea that says, hey, listen, I want to sleep with the person before I'm married to them because I want to know what I'm marrying them, right? Every single statistic, every sociological study will tell you that those who cohabit, those who sleep together before they're married are far more likely to get divorced. Uh, just look at the fruit, right? So God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. This doesn't make sense to our postmodern minds to create these limits, but the fruit bears it out. Look around. 99% of people that just do whatever they want end up with miserable marriages or their marriages fall apart. Like the statistics are terrible. Mm. And yeah, there are some that make it, absolutely. And honestly, I hope that others make it when they get married. I don't want the destruction of any family or marriage, but uh, it doesn't work. It's like, hey, if we do it our own way for so long and it produces carnage and pain and wreckage and heartbreak, maybe we should think that God's way is not so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So a follow-up question to that question is if I'm living with my boyfriend, girlfriend, yep. and we don't have sex, yep. is that okay? That is a total joke. Yeah. So I, I listen, let me just be straight, right? I, I think that, you know, I think that that's a total joke, right? Like, um, that's like saying, you know, I smoked pot, but I didn't inhale. Yeah. You know, it's like, all right. You know, you know, it's like, 
you know, that's just a joke. So first of all, you're setting yourself up to, to fail. Yeah. Second of all, you're setting yourself up for guilt and shame. And this is so important. I, I actually met with a couple for years who um, during their dating years, they were sleeping together. They were really struggling. They didn't want to sleep together. They wanted to honor God, but they just kept sleeping together. And then they got married. And I remember sitting with them 10 years, 10 years after they had been married, and they were still dealing with guilt and shame from the time they were dating and it jacked up their 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 sex life you know like so for i'll just be straight for chrissy and i we did not sleep together until the night we got married and candidly we skipped a lot of the insecurity a lot of the shame a lot of the misunderstanding that comes in sexuality in your marriage and we were able to kind of launch right into vibrant sex life because we didn't have that baggage these guys they slept together a bunch of times before they were married and now 10 years later they still really can't be free in their sexuality they can't really just have fun and experiment and just laugh together and really have a great time sexually as a married couple because that shame is still jacking up the way they see their spouse mm. and so it's like is it worth it like you're crippling your confidence and your freedom that should be fun and exciting and expressive in marriage. And it's all jacked up because of those, you taught yourself, sex is bad, yeah. sex is evil, I'm a failure. Oh, let's weep and cry and feel bad after we crossed our lines when we were dating. Yeah. And all this shame, so now you attach to sexuality, shame and guilt and failure. And then you try to bring it into marriage, You're like it's okay now, be happy, be expressive, be fun. And it's not happy, expressive or fun. Yeah. And so, you know, when you say, well, we're just going to live together and we're not going to sleep together, that's a joke. You're going to cross the lines and then you're going to feel guilty about it. And then you're going to carry that into your marriage. Bad, 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 bad. Yeah. So my advice would be either A, find two different places to live. God will, God will provide. He'll, he'll honor your commitment. He'll make the financial thing make sense. Or B, get married. Yeah. Just get married. You don't always need 24 years of prep to get married you don't always need a twenty thousand dollar wedding yeah you know just sometimes it's man freaking get married under a under a tree with a pastor and yeah. your best friend and then <laughs> and then go have some good sex yeah. so a uh, spin off to that question not necessarily about sex but it's a little bit of uh yeah. if you were divorced yes in god's eyes how does that look yeah because the Bible, the Bible talks about, you know, and there's all sorts of references and I've right. actually done some, some research on this for, uh, some people, but what does that look like in God's eyes? Yeah. So obviously divorce, uh, I think that, um, so divorce is not God's will. Divorce is not God's plan. Okay. And I know that that's a broad sweeping statement that has a lot of, you know, asterisks next to it. Okay. And mm -hmm. so in the same way that I would say that healing is God's will, but not all are healed, right? Salvation is God's will, but not all are saved. I would say that for a marriage to stay together is God's will, but not all stay together, right? And so the Bible gives two different, and this is obviously a much more complex and robust conversation. It's a theological discussion we could go on for, for a long time, so I'm going to give you the abbreviated version. But the Bible gives two different reasons for divorce, and again, I don't think it's ever God's best. And so my encouragement when a couple's going through a challenge or a difficulty is always first, is it? Is there a possibility for you to stay together, to fight through this, to fight for your marriage? That will always be my first desire. Now, I know that in areas of abuse or in areas of, you know, huge sexual unfaithfulness, there are times where it's just not, it is not, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. So first of all, if, if a, um, if a family, uh, a member of the marriage has been sexually unfaithful, that is one reason that um, the scripture describes 
okay, that is a reason for divorce. You don't have to get divorced. So if your husband cheats and you take him back and you want to fight for your marriage, I would say, praise God. I would praise God. You're going to fight. It's going to be hard, but you're going to fight for that marriage. And I would encourage you in most instances to do that. You know, if you said, you know what, I feel like this marriage needs to end because, you know, he or she has been unfaithful. Um, I would say, okay, the the scripture gives space for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that always best? No, but it gives space for that. The other one that Paul talks about in Corinthians is abandonment. And that is if one of the fam- if one of the, the husband or wife leaves you and they will not reconcile and your desire is to reconcile over a long period of time and they, they will not reconcile, they move on with their life, they leave you and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, at that point, according to scripture, if Paul didn't say this, you'd pretty much be bound to singleness forever and yeah. there's nothing you could do because your spouse walked away, you know? Uh, but he says in that, uh, it would seem that he says, and I believe that he says, listen, in those instances, you're not bound by that marriage. That person has canceled it and been unfaithful. So there's there's those instances. And then there's those that were divorced before they were believers, right? And so, you know, I was divorced before a believer. What do I do with that? Um, my encouragement is always first, you know, is there any possibility of reconciliation with your spouse? Many times it's like, no, they're remarried or yeah. no, they're, you know, it's not possible. In that instance, then I would say you're not bound by that marriage. Um, there is no opportunity for reconciliation. You need to move on in faith, in marriage. That is godly. I do believe that a believer should marry a believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, scripture's clear about that, that if your mission, Equal, missionary marriage yeah. is not a good plan. So, oh, I'm hoping they get saved, you know, when, once we get married. <laughs> Bad plan. Uh, I think that Christ needs to come before that person, and that means that they need to love Jesus more than they love you. And so... Um, I do encourage if, if two people are getting married and they're, you know, one's a believer and one's not, I say, this is not a good plan. You're not honoring God. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, those are some uh, parameters around divorce. And in divorce, I do say this is a case by case thing. In other words, uh, our leaders will sit down with a person who has been divorced or maybe they've been divorced two or three times and we will walk them through how should they, we'll counsel them, how should they biblically move forward in their context. And Mm -hmm. every context is slightly different. And so you don't want to make these vast generalizations and then just apply it to every person. You have to take it case by case. And then you have to walk them through it by Mm -hmm. faith. And uh, is it messy? Yeah, it's messy. You know, we live in a world where, gosh, I mean, I'm sure hundreds of people in our church have walked through at least one divorce. And um, it's tragic. It's hurtful, right? As a kid, uh, my my uh, family, we were my mom was divorced from my dad, and then a second divorce, and it was tough. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, but God redeems; He heals; He takes the broken pieces of our life, and He makes all things new. And it's crazy because again, talking about society and talking about the world we live in, you see this person, this celebrity got married three days later; right. they're divorced. It's like it's unbelievable. Like, I mean, it, it's like getting a new pair of shoes, mm-hmm. and and that's the perception that's out there yeah. is oh, if it doesn't work out, you know, we'll just move on; we'll do something else. And yeah. you know, I'm glad you 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 talked about that. And we could talk about that again. Yep. I do have one last question Let's for you. So after all those serious, yeah, you hard, hit me with the hard, I know, hard-hitting questions, this last person, they couldn't decide what they wanted to ask. Yeah. So they just wanted to know, if you were to go on a perfect night out, what restaurant would you choose and why? Oh, man. So I'm, a, I'm actually a pretty, uh, a pretty simple guy. I'm like all about a good steak some potatoes mm. and something green. Yeah, I think you've mentioned so, that. I think yeah, you've mentioned man, that before. Like, I mean, my wife, we go to like all these special restaurants because she has a more sophisticated palate yeah. than I do. <laughs> and that's fine. I go and it's all good. 
uh, and I'll eat whatever it is that, you know, we get. But, uh, but for me, you know, it's like, man, I mean, I ha- I've only been a couple of times, but like a Ruth's Chris, like somewhere yeah. that just has a great steak, great steak and some good mashed potatoes. Yeah. And then give me a little salad. And like, that's, that's it for me. Mm. That's like, it could be potatoes in the form of French fries. Yeah. It could be, you know, <laughs> it could be but like those three elements together, uh, that's it for me. So I don't yeah. have like a favorite restaurant, but I'm always, I'm always hunting for the perfect combination. There you go. Yeah. You heard it. You yeah. heard it first guys. So again, JK, thank you very much for being here. And guys, again, any questions you have, feel free to email us at beyondsunday at voxchurch.org. We'll be happy to ask any of those questions. As you can see, we hit all the hot topics today. That's right. So JK, we will see you guys next week.